Hello and welcome back to Good Show, the podcast helping you answer one of the most daunting questions in television. What am I watching next? I'm Anthony Mako. And I'm Brandon Sharp. We're sort of coming back for season two, although I'm I'm sort of torn in my head whether we should be calling these things seasons anyway, but we did just take a large summer break, so I wanted to ask you, Brandon, it's good to see you. It's good to be back with you. How was your summer? It was really good. It's been really good. There's a little bit summer left, obviously, but sure, um, sure. we're recording this in early August. But yeah, it's been a great time uh, with my kids. My kids are getting old enough now when we can really do summer things, and it's been blazing hot, so we've been spending a lot of time in the pool and good amount of family time which i think we all really needed yeah i'm in i'm in roughly the same boat we had a really good vacation too went to hilton head for the first time which was awesome yeah i'm such a hilton head fan now uh so that was awesome and it was a really good i mean with covid going on we haven't had like a super real family four of us vacation in a while if ever now we're getting into getting back to school and one of my my youngest daughter's about to start kindergarten so both kids will be in school we got soccer practice going out the wazoo so just going nuts it's been a good summer though it's been awesome wait so our our daughter made a big signing just for the record we got cucho (laughs) not a big deal nice So our daughters are the roughly the same age then. Uh, my uh, my youngest, yeah, and yeah, and my oldest is yes. Except Rosie's going a little early. Oh, and Reagan's going on the later side. So yeah. your daughter's probably like a year younger than yeah. Reagan will she actually just turned five. Okay. like uh, like a like a couple weeks ago. Reagan Reagan's turning six here in yeah. All right, awesome. Yeah, but when, if you get them into kindergarten, you don't have to pay for childcare anymore. So. <laughs> I mean, childcare, that'll do it to you. All right. As we return from our summer break, we're taking on the task that we are simultaneously dreading and massively excited for, because we're about to talk about the show of all shows, at least for us. Probably the main reason we have a podcast about TV shows, and certainly the reason we have a podcast about TV shows together. It has probably been our main topic of conversation for the last 12 years. That's right. We're talking about The West Wing. The West Wing follows the story of the fictional presidency of Josiah Bartlett, picking it up about a year or 18 months into this presidency. It was originally conceived as a close look at the lives of senior staff members of the White House. In fact, its original intention was to rarely, if ever, even show the president on screen, choosing instead to focus on the quote-unquote blue-collar work of the White House. I guess that was until they signed one of the most iconic television characters of all time, President Josiah Bartlett, played by Martin Sheen. This show originally aired on NBC, spent a long time on Netflix, but can now be found on HBO Go. It was the creation of the one and only Aaron Sorkin, and was a continuation of his epic partnership with director Tommy Schlamme. It wasn't a huge deal. It was just Sorkin changing the television writing game and Tommy Schlamme inventing the walk and talk, a move that continues to be mimicked to this day. This show has dialogue that flies. It has character development upon character development. It has some of the best acting ever seen in television. It has the first appearance of every single one of your favorite actors from the early 2000s. It will stretch, test, and help you develop your worldview. Brandon, let's talk The West Wing. Oh, by the way, this is probably going to be a long one. 
I feel like we either really locked people in or drove them, drove them away. <laughs> drove, Definitely drove them away. I mean, the, the, the syrup we're just, we're heaping on. This is all rose colored glasses for us. I mean, yeah. And this is George and Lenny, like you loving something so much that you kill it. Just heap the love, heap it on yeah. just piles of love on top of this. If you were wanting a critical take, you might need to go somewhere else. I'm sure. Right. We've, I'm sure. I, we've got I, things we'll to find say. some stuff. We we'll got find some, some stuff. stuff. There's, but also, I so One like people thing, get upset with us. I feel like for being so West Wingy, but it's, it's just pretty- because they wish they were in on they were in on it, man. <laughs> they fair. just want to they just want to be in on the joke. Not the that's joke. fair. But also, there are a lot of people that rank this very high in the list of all time TV shows. It's yeah. not just us making this up. We're not just making it. No. You know, yeah, it's on most lists. If, yeah. if, if you don't see the West Wing, at least in the top 10 on this list that you're looking at, it's not a good list. Just yeah, for find, sure. find another one because it's not, it just wasn't a, it just wasn't a very good take on television shows as a whole, I think. Yeah, and I don't need it to be number one on that list because no. some people take it different ways and that's no, no problem, but I, I agree with that statement. Yeah. Um, so I guess here's an interesting question. If we think everybody loves it and it's so it's so popular, what's why are we doing this episode right now? And if you want, I can answer first. If I, I just threw that at you, so so you're at, you're asking me what is the point of doing this now? If our mission statement is what am I watching next, mm-hmm. and everybody's seen it, I don't mean to be tricky. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is basically, I think we're in this interesting time period where a large gap has taken place since West Wing came out, and we were, you and I were sort of on the tail end, which we'll talk about in a second. But there's a there's a huge group of people that kind of haven't even seen it ever. Yeah. There are certainly still people coming to the show because of it being on streaming services, but it's certainly not hitting people the same way it did several years ago, but I mm-hmm. do think it absolutely holds up. So I think it's, it's certainly something we want to recommend absolutely. As, a, as a podcast. Yeah. 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 It, I do get that. It's, it kind of goes in waves like same with the office, same with Seinfeld. You'll hear about like these waves of people watching it. Of course there was the people watching the West wing when it was airing, which I was not a part of. And then mm-hmm. there was the people kind of hitting that, you know, those DVD releases and kind of that second wave of people. I was either in that wave or like the third, third ish wave. I think it had maybe like just wrapped when I started. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it definitely kind of goes with, you know, and then it was on the Netflix. So like it kind of goes in waves. Yeah. So let's get into that. Actually, the origin stories of us and West Wing. I think I watched it. I I didn't watch the whole thing before you watched it, but I started watching it before you did. Yeah. So I'll start with my story of how I found the West Wing, which is my first memory of West Wing was in college. I was in a friend's room in his like entertainment center because that's what we had at the time. Everything didn't stream. What were a couple West Wing season DVD box sets? Yep. My first thought, my first thing at the time was, you got to remember, I went to a conservative, so did you. (laughs) I went to a conservative Christian college and I had a pretty different worldview at that time. And my first view was this liberal piece of garbage has, (laughs) look, look at this, look at this paraphernalia, this liberal band, yes, contraband uh... in some, what's wrong with this dude? Uh, So I just, I bring that up (laughs) because... I've changed my mind a little bit yeah. on certain things like that. But I just specifically remember, I can't believe someone's watching this, this propaganda garbage. Then um, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how I gave it a chance. So I don't remember what made me give it a chance, but I do specifically remember, I believe my first actual 
viewing of West Wing was on Bravo because it re ran oh, yeah. on Bravo. Yep. Or like late mornings. And so this was like the year after I graduated college, I sort of caught West wing somewhere around season three or four, as it was rerunning, they would rerun. Like, I think it was like two hours worth every single day of, and but it reran in succession, which, you know, what's funny is if you, if you mostly watch streaming services now, you, you may not even like remember that time period, but like you literally would have to watch these reruns, like from 9am to 11am every single day. And that was the only way you could catch like, in the right in series. And, yep. yeah and then you like miss a day or whatever it was like really hard to actually watch the whole show straight yeah. through yeah um so then eventually i bought several episodes i bought some dvds i bought some and it was the transition to itunes thing so i've i have like three seasons purchased on itunes then i just watched it and i have not i i know this is going to sound ridiculous but i bet i've been through I have no idea what the number is man i have no clue what the number is but i bet i've watched every single episode over 30 times like i I, it's gotta it might even be 3x that i have no idea i'm basically constantly watching west wing yeah how about you how did so i actually specifically remember we started talking about west wing pretty early on and normally i would take this as an opportunity to say i i introduced you to this like this was mine i gave it to you but i'm very well aware that i did not do that somehow you and i came to it around the same time and didn't even really know that we were both getting obsessed with it at the same time yeah i'm a little a little hazy on that exactly the sequence of events i know the first time i watched it i saw it on a friend's shelf also mm. but i had already had so here's what here's what it was charlie wilson's war came out mm-hmm. i was having conversations about charlie wilson's war and aaron sorkin so you saw that before west wing i'm gonna say yes oh wow okay um, but that i think like it literally was the same time so i saw it and i was like i started watching it and because I remember I was having conversations about, oh, yeah, Aaron Sorkin and he did the West Wing. And a friend of mine's like, yeah, I have all the box sets if you, or the whole box set if you ever want to check that out. And so I did. I borrowed. I think all, that friend that friend needs a shout out. His <laughs> name's J.J. Crumloff. I mean, no one may know who I'm talking about. That's all right. They deserve listening. a shout out for yeah, J.J. Crumloff lent me the entire series. And I think I had him for a while because I remember, yeah. hey, man. <laughs> Did you ever make your way through the the West Wing? I I don't want to lose track of those DVDs. <laughs> I did finally like wrap them up and give them back to him because I probably hung on to them too long. But I started buying them myself. I'm sure somewhere in the first what like I was making my way through, and that's when we would have started talking about it. Yeah, but it's interesting to think I, you kind of referenced referenced this a little bit in your intro, but you and I have a fair amount of things in common or things that we've done the same of over the past, however many years, but we may not still be friends today. If it had, if it wasn't for the, if it hadn't been for the show, that's the thing that kept us talking at least semi-regularly. Yes. I'll yeah, put it yeah, that yeah. way. Yeah. We may have uh, lost touch at some point. Yeah. That's why I sort of, may- I, I don't think, yeah, we may have lost touch. I, you know, I don't think it was the the glue that held us together as friends, but I do think like, like, just like you pointed out and I made that joke, like, it has to be the thing we've talked the most about. Yeah. It's, that's crazy to think about because it was always just like, we may not have talked for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden somebody gets a, a, a quote. quote. Yeah. Basically what we do is constantly test each other by sending a quote across and then seeing if the person like, we'll either see if the person could finish it or sort of see what, tell them what's going on in the scene or whatever. And we'll get more and more obscure and just see who can catch it. But um, yeah, that's got to be our most talked about thing over the course of time. It's very interesting. And if knowing, if being able to correctly place a quote in the, in the context mm. that it belongs in was a batting average, you and I would both be in the hall of fame. 
I'll, yeah. I'll just go oh, for it, sure. put it that way. I mean, yeah, for sure. Rarely do we, do we get one of these wrong? So yeah, for, for example, there's this, uh, the way we are, I've often thought about this. The way we are about the West wing is there's a joke in the West wing about a woman wears a star Trek pin to work one day. Josh Lyman thinks that's ridiculous. And you- I'm not obsessed, you know, I'm sorry. I'm not obsessed. I'm just a fan and I care. What's your name again? Janice. I'm a fan. I'm a sports fan, I'm a music fan, and I'm a Star Trek fan. All of them. But here's what I don't do. Tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Let's list our 10 favorite episodes. Let's list our least favorite episodes. Let's list our favorite galaxies. Let's make a chart to see how often our favorite galaxies appear in our favorite episodes. What Romulan would you most like to see coupled with a Cardassian and why? Let's spend a weekend talking about Romulans falling in love with Cardassians, and then let's do it again. That's not being a fan. That's having a fetish. And I don't have a problem with that, except you can't bring your hobbies into work, okay? Got it. Except on Star Trek holidays. So like every time that comes around, I think that's me with the West Wing. Like he's literally making fun of me right now. Not only that, but I know for a fact, I don't even have to look this up. That's in season four. And it's in the episode Arctic Radar because I could do that to just about any moment in the mm. West Wing. I could say what episode it's in, what, like, it's insane. It takes up way too much headspace, but I still really enjoy it. I love it. that scene because he's differentiating between a fan and a fetish. Yes. And how a fan likes the show. Uh, if you have a fetish, you're like, what's our favorite episodes? Who's our favorite characters? You know, and making lists and really raking, raking over the show kind of the way we do. Now, Brandon, we have to sort of put this within our context. Even you know, we got to do much, our normal. Yeah, we got to run. We'll it do through. our normal thing, and we're gonna have some time later where we sort of uh, let loose and uh, go into all of our favorite little things, like we were just talking about with that Star Trek thing. But f- for now, we're gonna run it through the thing, our process, our process, and then at some point we'll let you know that we're we might start spoiling it, but we'll try our best not to spoil up to that point. Um, although you know, I don't think there's not a lot of stuff in West Wing that's gonna get ruined by spoiling. There's some season turn things that might get ruined but um knowing stuff isn't going to really ruin the show for you but we'll do our best to stay away from it yep. P- so our first question here would be then uh, what kind of show especially in light of all the shows we talked about what kind of show do we feel like this is and an extension of that is the question we asked in the newsroom at the end of last season which is like does sorkin sort of have his own genre or did he was he the beginning of something new that we're now seeing more what do you think about that this is the show i think of when i think of network dramas and uh-huh. and i'll say network dramedies uh the, mm. the show you know and, and just kind of re, just kind of revisiting w- what we mean when we say dramedy it's it's a show that kind of like defaults to drama like the themes drama mm. the narratives are like you know very dramatic stories with very funny moments in them the west wing was one of the first shows to do it on this level deep dramatic stories and hilarious like hilarious lines and scenes and jokes so i I mean yeah i i would say uh, to answer you know kind of your follow-up question i i do feel like aaron sorkin may not have his own genre but he at least created something new with the west wing 
Yeah, I think to be a little, I totally agree with that. I think to be a little specific with that is um, I feel like he was able to maybe not be the first one. I just think he's the most expert at this, but he was able to insert jokes into a very drama heavy situation because if you start making this har har, like whatever, cracking up about certain things in the middle yeah. of very tense moments, it ruins the drama. But you can understand where his jokes come from in this show where it's just kind of like maybe a moment to break the tension. But So he was able to not have to choose. He's he's the one that started doing it so well that you didn't have to choose between, oh, is the, is the studio audience. And what's funny is he came from a show where he was having to choose. Yep. Sports night is very laugh tracky yeah. and it actually sort of drives me nuts. But it was like they learned their lesson on sports night. Now, sports night is not like, insane drama but it, they did try and have a more serious show but then all of a sudden like a hundred people would be laughing so you're like well <laughs> like if you insert a joke in the middle of a tense situation yeah. and a hundred people laugh it ruins the entire drama i think that uh, is the sorkin's ability to write a line knowing people are going to laugh at this and mm-hmm. i don't need a laugh track to make sure they laughed knowing how a line is going to play to mm-hmm. a viewer just by writing it on paper. And I think he has like his, his, his ability is uncanny to just be able to put those things on paper. Yeah. In that way, it's sort of like an insane amount of confidence to just say, well, I know this is funny. I don't mm-hmm. need to, I don't need the reaction to know that it's funny. I know it's funny. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into a little bit of character stuff. Uh, we always talk about characters. Uh, I think it's safe to say we both love most of the main all. I mean, we both love all the main characters on the West Wing. So I thought we could kind of just have some fun here. For me, at least, I think each of the characters has a quality that I admire a lot. Each of the sort of main characters, when I say main, I'm sort of talking about Sam, Toby, Josh, CJ, Charlie, Bartlett, and leo uh, did i miss anybody i don't, I don't think, think so. so okay so each of those Donna? characters yeah I, I don't know if i'd she's deaf i mean she's certainly very important but i don't know if i'd put her in that main very top tier main cast sure she is though well, well later anyway. on for sure i think she, yeah, for she sure. goes from like supporting to um she's like a name cast member she's in, in the credits at some point so yeah yeah for sure so each of those has a quality that i really admire so like do you uh, do a couple pop out to you that have a quality that you admire for? Let me just give you one example. So yeah. I don't think Josh is a perfect human being, obviously like none of them are a perfect human being, but I certainly love Josh's arrogance. And I mean that in a way that like, it's gotta be useful to be that confident in certain ways and to like be so confident in yourself. I know I'm going to win. There's so many jokes. With- You're comfortable being this condescending with me. Yes, ma'am. Why? Cause I won. I always do. And you came here for my advice. That's the quality I admire in Josh. And I think that, you know, you can learn that from watching the show. I think in the newsroom episode, you referenced people who kind of get the Sorkin arrogance. And I think we were Mm -hmm. talking about Don had Don Don was the carrier of the Sorkin arrogance. Yeah. And Josh is absolutely the carrier of the Sorkin arrogance in the West wing. He is a little Toby too, I think, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like though, if, if there is an archetype, it's got to be Bradley Whit- Bradley Whitford and Josh Lyman. I think it, uh-huh. yeah. it it really it really just he's the one that just makes the most sense to go with that. I like Sam Seaborn's optimism. Mm-hmm. He's almost naive in some scenes, but he is he's very optimistic and tries to see the best in most situations. He always wants to help yeah. and just do good. 
And I think he is uh, someone who really, really stands out to me. Uh, yeah, and my I actually love that because it's juxtaposed most often and best in the first, you know, while they're in the show against Toby's. My, my thing for Toby yeah. would be it's sort of pessimism, but I would say his the way you would put that quality in a good way is like bluntness. Yep. So I don't necessarily admire the pessimism, but I do admire because also he's yeah he's not completely pessimistic, but anyway he's completely blunt but that often comes across as grumbly and grumpy and whatever but then you put that up against sam and they can really bounce off each other in a really good way that way neither of them wears you down too much um sam's not overly sticky and uh toby's not overly like pessimistic and grumpy so those work really well together how about cj what's your favorite thing you take cj uh, goofiness. I like, cause she can always bring, uh, I mean, she has a ton of heart, but, uh, sometimes that heart is goofiness and sometimes it's in emotion. If we're talking about characters, we're talking about a- acting. Allison Janney is like one of the best female actresses of all time. Absolutely. Sorry, not, not female actress, but one of the best actresses of all time. Yes. I think you would say female actor. I I've heard that we're kind of trending away from the word actress. <laughs> That's neither here you, nor there. You trying to cancel me? Dude? A little bit. It just, yeah, we're, right. I don't think we're saying actress anymore. I like CJ's strength. Uh-huh. She'll call three-star generals into her office and mm-hmm. speak truth to power every opportunity mm-hmm. she gets. I say this with all due respect. I think your motives are personal, and I'd like to discuss that, sir. Sure. How about we discuss new defense spending being down to $300 billion from $400 billion 10 years ago? Is that personal? No, sir. I think that's about the Cold War ending 10 years ago and America not needing to spend quite so much money defending itself against a country that can't bake bread. Kitten, op tempo is up, which is fine. But the problem is purse tempo is up too. Do you know what that is? It's the rate of turnover in individual jobs. Yes, sir. Purse tempo is up because higher paying civilian jobs are luring men and women trained in high tech. We're more than happy to take the rap for a booming economy, sir. Two divisions, the 10th Mountain Division at Fort Drum and the 1st Infantry in Germany have been rated C4. That's the lowest of four possible readiness grades. It means unfit for service. No, sir. Again, with all respect, I hate to disagree, but it means unfit for service based on the Pentagon to war doctrine. It's based on how fast these divisions would be able to extract themselves from their peacekeeping mission, retrain on home bases, and ship off to a second of two full-scale Gulf War-sized conflicts. There are also some both inside and outside the Pentagon who question whether the C-4 ratings might not be a political maneuver on the part of the DOD to help Republican allies in Congress secure more defense money. I love her character. I She wears a lot of different hats over the course of the series. And I think my um, my favorite is the early stuff when she is uh, the press secretary, and that's just like seeing her in her in the zone. Mm-hmm. She is she's the face of of this uh, administration, I, and I feel like she just operates at such an elite level, especially watching press secretaries like in the real world nowadays you know it's just like goodness gracious why haven't we called cj craig to you know handle this one it's just very refreshing to see like a a high quality press secretary yeah i don't want to belabor this but i would also shout out charlie's loyalty Mm -hmm. and i would shout out i i think what i would say about leo and president bartlett is president bartlett is the um wise one and leo is the leader and they can sort of interchange for See, certainly, but I think interesting using the word wise, because I think Leo has the wisdom is the wisdom of Bartlett. and Jed yeah. has the book smarts. He is uh-huh. by far the smartest of them, like has the most knowledge. 
but but Leo hey, is I'll just certainly give you that. Yeah, Leo is just this tried and true, been around forever, knows what to do in every circumstance. So it's a not like a knowledge versus wisdom thing. Bartlett is a little like when you know when he gets into like the political realm, like he's a little bumbling. He you know and get him into mm-hmm. the military stuff. Not quite sure of himself all the time, but insanely smart. And he has Leo, who's just been and done everything. I've one for you real quick. All right. Hit me. Who do you find yourself laughing at? Not laughing at, laughing with. Like, who do you feel like is the funniest of all of the... Because they all have... They're all funny. They all have different styles of humor. You know what? This is a very hard question. No. Pound for pound? Charlie, I think. <laughs> pound for... Ch- Charlie? Man. I- I think he has less lines than anyone else, but I just think of, yeah, his delivery, like everything about he, oh my gosh, so many good one-liners. Now, if like, if he probably wouldn't hit as often if he were in more scenes, but basically like, if you think about when uh, Abby comes in and she's like, so I don't want to run jokes, I guess. Yeah, maybe but we should. Abby comes in and tells the news and Charlie says, no, that's not you and me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, I think he is a great, it's like supporter. I feel like he has a lot of really funny scenes with uh-huh. other people. Like he adds a lot to a scene with, with someone else where I feel like as some of the other characters may like, they could be just really funny with like by themselves or with anyone. But mm-hmm. Charlie is a, is a great like supporting character in a scene. But I, I honestly, like I'm thinking about this now and I don't know that I could put one person at the top. I laugh at, I don't know. Everyone's written so well. And yeah, I, I, and also it has a lot to do with the writing. So I was, I was thinking of another example, uh, because the other day, I, I don't remember if I texted you or not, but I was thinking about texting you. You remember the scene where, um, Charlie and Toby are in his office and they're watching tennis on the TV. Mm -hmm. Toby's kind of blowing up and whatever. And, um, he goes off on Charlie for a minute and Charlie just looks at him. He goes, are you eating a salad? You said, I wouldn't even know you were here. Just so you know, I, can tell that you are. Are you eating a salad? Yeah. Why? Because I am. I don't think I've ever seen you eat a salad. What kind of salad is it? I don't know. Just mixed greens? I don't know what kind of salad it is. I'm eating a salad. Okay, I'm doing it. Do I have to know the names? There's no difference between them. It's a bowl of weeds. Like <laughs> the perfect thing to get under his skin uh-huh. and Toby, like it's just dry. And that's writing, obviously. That's all writing. But these actors deliver the writing so precisely. It's like, it's a mixture of the two things. And any one of them can make you laugh at any moment because it's just so good. I love how the writing though feels like the funny moments that are being told by each character feel like they were written specifically for that character. Like uh-huh. they're not plug and play. It's not like anyone oh, yeah. could say no. any of the jokes. Yep. Toby's jokes work because most of the time he's kind of a jerk. He's walking yep. around kind of mad, kind of grumpy. And then he'll say something funny. I'm like, that's only funny because of that delivery, that just deadpan yep. delivery from Toby. So I can't imagine what it would be like writing five different styles of jokes for every episode. I think that would be insane. Yeah, and I think one of the specialties of the West Wing and why it just is a thing to behold is because sometimes you have amazing writing and you have perfectly serviceable acting. Sometimes you have uh, vice versa. Sometimes you have really, really good actors that are doing a script that's just fine and they're really making it happen. And somehow 
this was the confluence of amazing writing by some of I just I think some of the best actors of that time period at least. I think it's worth noting though this was before the age of Hollywood came to television, you know, where like yep, nowadays yep, yep. with all of the premium streaming services and their shows, mm-hmm. you've got actors able to make as much money doing a television show as they would a movie and and mm-hmm. sometimes television is easier to you know easier to film or it works a little better for, better for schedules and this was like the ensemble to end all ensembles mm-hmm. and it was made up of television actors and stage actors and it, it was like handpicked by Sorkin to work well with his writing style i i mean i don't know it's just like the right tools for the job mm-hmm. and it's just in that way it's perfect Okay, let me let me ask you a couple more a little quicker character questions. So we talked about the main cast a lot, but this show has great recurring characters and also like great cameos. And like mm-hmm. I said, there's let, let me lump all this together. And then there's also people you see pop up in the show, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's Nick Offerman. Yep, yep, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, like they were in West Wing before anything else. Um, so, what are your favorite? When I say just whatever comes to your mind when I say this, what are your favorite recurring characters? Whether that's a actual, literally recurring, or like a cameo, something like that. The best way for me to like even approach a question like that is who would be like someone that's attached to one of my favorite episodes. Right off the bat, Matthew Perry, who comes in a little later. Was that like anyway, Matthew Perry? in one of my favorite episodes and i would just quickly add another fantastic recurring character is mary louise parker plays amy Mm -hmm. gardner and i feel like she's also one part of the best romance in the show which is her and josh Mm -hmm. i think that's my top romance yeah yeah i think it is it it, like again it's attached to the right episodes it's just like everything where it's a good part in like the show the series like it was like a good season it's attached mm-hmm. to good episodes. Yeah. So Mary Louise Parker, one of my favorite recurring, recurring characters. I'm going to put a pin in that actually, because let we can talk about the difference between recurring Josh and, and Amy. Oh, no, no, no. Josh and Amy and Josh and, but I, we'll talk about that at the end of the show or like later on. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> is that, yeah, that's sort of, oh man. Yeah. Them, that really them is. Getting together is a yeah, big yeah, old, sure, yeah. big okay, old spoilery. So I'm going to loop together the lawyers. I like both lawyers. Tribby, the, yep, and, Tribby and Oliver Babish. Yeah. Played by Oliver Platt. Yeah. So both those characters are really good recurring characters. Yeah. Uh, and Ainsley Hayes is an amazing recurring character mm-hmm. too. A Republican. Uh, yes. And also the two people that run for president later. Oh man. Everything we say about West Wing is spoilers. I think there is a, um, what's the term when like you commit a crime and you're outside the, uh, <laughs> the statue of limitations. Yeah. I think we've yeah. reached the statue of limitations on the West Wing. Like I think. It definitely, definitely like light stuff. Like I, we don't need to be disrupting heavy plot points, but definitely like light. You All know. right. But if I would have said the name of the people that run for president in the last season, then that would have ruined season six for people. Maybe yeah. that's what, that's what I was nervous about. But anyway, both those people are awesome. How about we could have a quick discussion about, there's not very many characters I don't love on the West wing, except for Moira Kelly. Is it Kelly? Moira Kelly. Yep. Yeah, Mandy in the in season one. Yeah, Mandy. That was like a swing and a miss for big time. So that's really funny. So that's and, actually worth and the way they handled it. She just disappeared. They just ghosted her. She was just gone. No explanation. Season two, she's not there. Well, they I mean, they sort of have a situation of well, she got in trouble for, but they never really explained that that was that made her get fired or that's something right. like that. They just, that's um, right. But 
I do think that's actually worth bringing up for somebody who might be checking out West Wing because I think you may find as you jump into it in the first place, like this person is very annoying. Well, they're not going to be around very long. I don't think that's a terrible spoiler. Let me ask you any, any other recurring that you want to yeah. bring up? Yeah. Mary McCormick plays Kate Harper and I loathe Kate Harper. I would say <laughs> you and I have had a conversation about this and you disagree with me, which is totally mm-hmm. fine. No, I don't. But but I would say she is Lose is the perfect word because I thought you were going a different direction. <laughs> she is the direct result of one of the most devastating parts of this show. I would say that. Like that sounds harsh. That sounds heavy. I think she earned it. I'm not. Yeah, we've had that conversation, and you and I feel like you disagreed with me, but maybe you don't. Well, I'm not going to strongly disagree with you. I don't. Lo- I don't love her. I okay. think she's pretty serviceable at certain points, but I don't. I wouldn't say I, I like her a lot. Well, I think she's brought in, she's used to drive a wedge. And then like a couple seasons yeah. later, she's still yeah. around and she's fine. I don't care yeah. at that point, but yeah, like yeah, yeah. the way she's brought in the wedge that she drives mm-hmm. kind of the resulting, the fallout of that. Honestly, that is one of, that is just gut wrenching for me to watch every single time. Just everything that happens, it goes against everything that I uh, believe and love about the show. Like, I don't know. It really, it really messes you up when you, when you watch it. And I think it's her fault. Most of you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And that's, but that's also the result of a different issue, which I'm going to bring up later. Yeah. So see, like, and that's my, like, I don't, it probably actually wasn't as much her fault as I'm making it seem just me. She is the face of it for me. And that's why I I don't care for her at all. It is her character's fault, but it's not that she didn't play it well. Oh, she played it great. Yeah. That's, that's that's the only distinction. Great. Yeah, right. Kate yeah. Harper. Yes. Foul language is the stuff is what I want to use right now. Okay. There's here's something interesting about characters. Like I said in the intro, it was actually this uh, allegedly this show was first conceived that the yes. president would rarely be in the show. It just seems impossible to even fathom at this point that they could have done this. But do you think it could have possibly worked that Martin Sheen's character just hardly was ever in it? I feel like the way that they originally intended it was like he had just walked out of a room or he was out of town. It was always like we just missed him. And the decision to put Bartlett in the pilot was mm-hmm. what really changed the course of the show. I mean, honestly, it changed a lot of things like Rob Lowe is supposed to be the main character. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's the, the guy we see in the opening scene. And and he I, I know was always at least a small amount disgruntled because of how the show shifted and became more Bartlett slash Martin Sheen centered. I think the show would have been good. I don't think it would have been as good. Yeah. It's interesting to think about it. Just like the pilot where uh, Martin Sheen's not in very much of the pilot and very um, last. Yeah. And the pilot really, really works. So I think that could have potentially continued just fine. But I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, this is I'm just making this up. There's no reason for this to have happened. It just seems like a very good decision they made to go ahead and change yep. the original course of the show and just go ahead and include the president on more of a regular basis. Okay, cool. Let's um, shift a bit to story. Here's the one thing that I think we could talk about with story because I think obviously you both, you and I both love the writing. Yep. We already made our jokes in newsroom about how, of course, we love the writing of Sorkin. We love the dialogue. It's perfect and blah, blah, blah. 
The interesting question that I think that could come up at this point is, if you're not aware, basically what happens is Aaron Sorkin and Tommy Shalami leave the show after season four. Yeah. And John Wells takes it over and and sort of finishes it out. Now, there are some writers that stick around, some pretty prominent writers that um, were a part of it from the beginning, and they stick around. So it's not like the show makes a, a complete right turn, but it makes a significant shift. So can we compare story from the first four to the last three? I mean, the way I guess I would ask it is I love the story in the first four. It's just like all near perfect. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, the last three, I think we get into some bumps. So how do you feel about the story after season four? Yeah, I mean, I think like the the big difference is the dialogue is just completely different. I th- so like John Wells is the mastermind behind ER, yeah. you know, amongst other things. But basically, he comes in season five. And tries to run the show like Aaron Sorkin ran the show. He tries to write like Aaron Sorkin, or he's using his writers, you know, and he's trying to make the same show, which he could not do. Yeah. Season five is is kind of a turd in in the punch bowl. Season six and seven are both good. It he though makes the shift like, hey, this is how I know how to run shows. Yep. We're just gonna run the show like this. Yep. So they they become more of like one big story, dramatic cliffhangers, and just kind of something you would expect like with an ER style show. Seasons one through four, one of my favorite things is the bottle episodes. Your mm-hmm. Hartsfield landing, you know, they mm-hmm. made the, the the plays. Sorkin calls them mm-hmm. plays. Yep. That's some of my favorite stuff. And you pretty much don't have that at all after season four. The marrying of the dramedy, the, just the, the dialogue that is can be serious and can be lighthearted and is just so rich and layered, I think is something we don't see. Yeah. That's a really good point. After season four and like into season five, they make you choose a lot more. They'll have several drama episodes in a row that are just very intensely drama. And then they'll have a couple, not, not not like goofy, but that's where they try and like catch up on their jokes Yep, is they'll have a couple episodes that are just not about anything super important. And I think, I mean, I agree with your assessment. They started to find their rhythm in season six again, and there's a lot of good stuff in season six. Like I don't, I generally don't like season five very much. I don't like the turn, how they get into season five. I don't like the turn from five to six. Um, but then by six, moving from six into seven, I feel a lot better about it. And mm-hmm. I, I always really enjoy season like the tail end of six. I'm fine with, and I, I always really enjoy season seven. There are a lot of people that just really poo poo five, six and seven. I, I'm not one of those people. No, me either. It's still a part of the show and it's still very enjoyable overall to watch. It's just, I think most people, when they talk about the best show, one of the best shows of all time, it's the first four seasons that really get you there. And then you get nostalgic. And so you stick around for the rest. And and you wouldn't have known, like at right. the time we were watching the show, you wouldn't have known that Aaron Sorkin left the show. It's not and, like we're reading Entertainment Magazine every week. So, and keep in mind, season five, like being bad for the West Wing, is still really good. Okay, this show is often criticized for something like being too utopic or, you know, like this is, well, saccharine. Yeah. Yes. Because it could never happen or people would never act like this or whatever. It's too idealistic. What do you think about that critique? And let me set that up a little bit more in saying, like, we're now talking about this show within the context of, I think the biggest comparison is like House of Cards as the anti West Wing. Mm hmm. 
there's one that's really idealistic about politics and there's one that's insanely skeptical about politics. Um, there's lots of shows that sort of fall in between, but I guess what I would say is it seemed to me that people started criticizing West Wing for being too utopic when House of Cards got more popular. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can be fair about answering this question, but if we can be fair, is it too utopic? What do you think? Yeah, I think my thing is, is it too utopic for what? Like, I don't feel like the show was ever billed as, well, like an ER, which was supposed to be a very realistic take on an emergency room. It's not that show. I, I also will say interviews I've heard about the West Wing and the way it operates, and maybe this was like a, you know, the way uh, like staffers from the 90s said that the show depicted the West Wing staff. They said it was it was very accurate. So I, I think what we're really talking to is, again, Aaron, Aaron Sorkin's revisionist history, him writing his version of how events should play out, which he did a lot in, you know, the newsroom. It is more optimistic. Yeah. I feel like it's it's a very interesting question, like for where we are right now uh-huh. in like real life. I think the fair critique of that is if you think if you're watching the West Wing as if it were a documentary, then yep. I think it's probably wrong. And it focuses on the more positive sides of politics. For example, I think it's commonly understood that this is it's not exactly like modeling the Clinton White House, but they got a lot of information during the Clinton years. And, you know, just like it's President Bartlett is not Bill Clinton, but it was modeled after sort of that era of the White House. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing in there about, you know, like any of the Clinton scandals, you know, so you can't watch it as a documentary. It's not a documentary. And it's not saying this is how, you know, this is how politics used to be. But mm-hmm. I do think things like um, Charlie's character as the body man, like that's very interesting information. So it's not exactly a documentary, but you would have never known there was a, a person who had the position that Charlie has. So it's not like Charlie is a real person, but it's like, oh, that's an interesting thing to yeah. think about. It, I don't I don't exactly know how to button that all up, but it's not exactly a documentary, but you certainly to learn a ton about politics from the show. A lot of the procedural things yes. are accurate. You know, yeah. the, the nuts and bolts, the, the framework, yeah, a lot of accurate takes on the, the operational day-to-day stuff. Again, we're talking about is how the story plays out. That is, that is maybe the utopic part of, of this show, the way issues are discussed. Yeah. It is a little saccharine. Well, I actually think the utopic part of this show, when people say that, I think what they're trying to say is they think people are more like the house of card people than they are like the, uh, sorry. That, that, and that's kind of that's kind of what I mean. They think more conni- people are more conniving. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. They they don't care about the voters. And honestly, that's one of my favorite parts about the show is mm-hmm. this group of people want to do good. They put the voter first. If this is too utopic, then I, I don't want. <laughs> you know, like this is this is what I love. So well, but I think what people are concerned about is if you believe that uh, West Wing is how politicians are you're going to get duped and that's what they're afraid is going to happen. So they're afraid West wing is going to lull you into a false sense of confidence. Then you'll all of a sudden start trusting everything politicians ever say. Well, and my, I think my counter argument to that is I'm not saying this is portraying what politicians are like. What I am saying is I'm fine being idealistic about expecting politicians like this. What's the matter with wishing this is how politics could work? Do I think everybody acts like the people on West Wing? No, I don't think that. I don't like the critique that it's like, well, that could never work out. Well, what's our, what are we aiming for then? 
Like mm-hmm. well, I, we got to, the only way to fix things is to aim for something utopic. That is a great way to put it. I, I feel like though, the people who are <laughs> walking around worried that people are going to watch this and then get duped or again, I'm able to use my brain at the same time I'm watching uh-huh. the West uh-huh. wing. And I'm, I don't ever feel like I have then turned around and been duped into something by a politician. I, um, I agree. This is if used as a barometer, it would be a, a great like measuring stick for politicians. Maybe not necessarily a true reenactment, but yeah, something to strive for. Yeah. I think this is somewhat similar of a question and it's, it's a bit of a repeat from newsroom uh, because we talked about this on the newsroom episode, I guess, you know, we should just call out, will the show only appeal to people with left leaning ideologies? So that's the first question I have a follow-up after that. Yeah. So I think it's a pretty clear no, because no matter what you think of me now or anyone thinks of me now, I was not that way when I first started watching anyway, and it yeah. appealed to me anyway. No, so absolutely not. It, it should it should not only appeal to people with left-leaning ideologies. And, it, you know, the, the administration is, you know, Bartlett is a, is a Democrat, but I, I feel like there is a way that every, every time we get in, you know, we get neck deep in an issue that would maybe turn right-wing people away, it's, it's framed in a way that doesn't, it's, it's just not polarizing. I don't really know, really know how to put this um, because I've done a lot of shifting of my own um, over the, the course of my, my time with this show. And I feel like, I mean, I, I feel like it could take someone who was more right-winging and make them a little more, a little more liberal. But I, I feel like what it has done for me, it has increased my critical thinking and, yes. and like my approach to how I view politics. And it's, it's made me do my own research and form my own views. I I, I don't feel like it is just propaganda. It is Mm -hmm. anything. It just makes you demand more debate, more information. That was rambly, but. No, that's all right. I I agree with everything you said, but I would also add that I think there's a practical, I have a practical answer and a, and a sort of non-practical answer. Number one, the practical answer is the wedge issues of that time are not the wedge issues of this time. So, I mean, I could, I can't remember the whole thing immediately off the top of my head, but I just don't think you're going to run into, if you're, uh, if you're specifically firmly on one extreme side of the political spectrum, some of this is just going to be foreign for you because they're not arguing over the same issues that are being argued about now. It's just that's, not, yeah, not the same stuff. So I don't think it's actually even going to, so that's my practical answer. I don't think it's going to bother you that badly because even like society has moved forward enough that like some of these issues are sort of settled to some extent and it's just not done with the same tone that things are argued about now. So, and then the, my un practical answer is i i think i mentioned this in the newsroom episode it is a bunch of democrats for sure i think it portrays conservatives mostly fairly and even more fairly than newsroom does Mm -hmm. um that's true for some reason i'm like remembering us talking about caricature characters on west wing Mm -hmm. and there may be a couple there's certainly some extreme examples but for the most part there's a lot of really fair republicans even to the point where season seven, I think almost anyone could see really, really good stuff about either candidate. Like you could see yourself voting for either candidate of both parties. Yep. And there's some really, really good moments of compromise. It's these, certainly there's political infighting and strategy, but still 
like because of that root thing that you were talking about where like everybody's just trying to do what they think is best. And that's the bottom line. I think I I do sort of believe everybody in the show is most people in the show are trying to do what's best for either the people that voted for them or just the American people in general, which I don't generally think about politics. So that's what's so refreshing about it. It's like, uh, if we could get there, that'd be awesome. Did this show change how you think about politics or change your political, your, your worldview, your politics, anything like that? Yes. And I, but, but the big thing is it forced me to form my own thoughts yeah. on, on issues. And I feel like the, uh, the majority of the show, we're talking about things like education. Who is out there not getting behind education? And, and like, you know, social security. Absolutely, there are episodes on issues that I have a very strong view on, and maybe the show doesn't take my view, but still, it doesn't make me feel ashamed for thinking about this issue that way. Mm-hmm. And when there is an, a Republican introduced and there's a, you know, maybe a little bit of a debate or a little bit of a discussion or argument, Aaron, is, Aaron Sorkin is writing like, hey, you know how you should be arguing this? And he writes the Republican (laughs) character that way. Like if you were smart, you would say this. And then he has the Republican. It's always like the best version of the argument on both sides. Yeah, I I do specifically remember. I would say this show, there's one way at least in which this show just completely changed me. And that has a little bit to do with what I mentioned at the beginning about how I viewed the person that had the the West Wing (laughs) DVDs. Mm -hmm. But basically like in a really, really good way, it helped undemonize people for me, which I guess you could argue is a slippery slope to where I am now. But there's so many things that influence my political thoughts that I, I just wouldn't I wouldn't attribute my current political ideology to West Wing. It's just not. But I do think what West Wing started to do was, oh, well, there could be good people on both sides. I was just like, mm-hmm. that was like in many ways, that wasn't even a possibility for me when I started watching West Wing. It was ingrained in me that one side was just evil and out to do, you know, evil things. I don't know how you feel about that, but it's like, that's a good thing in my book that it undemonized people for me or categories of people. Absolutely. And I feel like maybe the people that, you know, you run into on Facebook nowadays probably could use a watch through of the West wing. And I I do, I love your point about critical thinking because that is what it pushes you to do for the most part. I don't think it hands you, here's what you should believe. I think it hands you, well, it it hands you hands both you. both sides of the argument. It hands you discourse. It hands you, you know, uh, talking points. Like it's like a set of tools almost. And for that matter, it teaches you how to debate things in your own head. Like, what are the ways I should be thinking about this? What's a, what is a smart way? The show just generally like expanded my vocabulary. It made me a better writer, a better, a more interested reader. It made me more interested in exploring all aspects of research. Like it's just like, I'm, it literally was like a course of some sort um, to some extent, but it's not a course in an indoctrination way. It, it's like the way that higher education teaches you how to research and teaches you how to find the answer yourself. I don't think West Wing's handing you answers. I think West Wing is like teaching you how to think through things. Yeah. I don't even know this episode is good. There's too much to talk about. We love West Wing. But now, 
we're going to turn toward spoilery stuff potentially. Let's try not to ruin anything like massive, but but spoilers may happen at this point because we're going to talk we're, about- We're the- taking the seatbelts off. We're still yep. in the car. We're still driving, but the yes. seatbelts are coming off. It might get a little loosey-goosey. Yes. So, so if you are like, I'm going to watch this and I don't want to know a thing about it, stop the episode right now. Yes. Push it, stop. Yep. Do it. Um, so here comes some spoilers, here, but here's some fetishy stuff. Brandon, what are your top five episodes? Okay, so my favorite episode is a two-parter, actually. Season four premiere, 20 Hours in America, part one and two. Mm-hmm. That that has been my favorite. I think it is the most complete package. I think it is, is the best of the show all wrapped up. Really dramatic parts, hilarious parts, great Bartlett speeches. Everything I love about the show is in is in this tight little package. Season four, episodes one and two. I would say a, a close second. And then I'll turn it over to you. And I actually think this is probably the best, like critically the best episode of the show is two cathedrals season two finale. It's insane. But what, what are your favorites? Yeah, I think probably it it is really hard, but I think probably my favorites are the, I love the two you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mine is similar in that it's, I like the season premiere of season two shadow of two gunmen one and two. Mm hmm. I like that one a lot. Both has flashbacky stuff. That's actually one of the reasons I love that is because you learn so much about the character. So basically what ends up happening is season one, they're kind of making their way through season one. You you obviously start to love these characters, but then when they get renewed and they go into season two, first of all, they've had this really, really good cliffhanger. Um, but then you come into season two and they realize, oh, I think you probably need some backstory on some of these characters. So mm-hmm. you get some really cool backstory on some of the characters. And I do love life on Mars, actually. Kind of a bottle episode, but it, it has some it has some other like story that kind of leaks into the over the overarching yep. story. But fantastic episode. Yeah, I'm going to also shout out 16 people mm-hmm. and Bad Moon Rising, which is right, right after 16 people. Those Seven, 17 people. Well, you knew. Hmm? I was setting you up. Yes. <laughs> I was setting you up. It's 17 people, by the way. I'm sorry? You knew. We weren't counting you. It's 17 people. I mean, I could go on forever. Since I pooped on season five, I would like to bring up the Supremes episode 17. That's probably the best one in that season, yeah. Great episode. Hilarious. Really good. This has that fantastic republican democrat debate to uh-huh. like debate at a high high elite level and, and that is the uto- utopia of all yeah. utopias yeah oh i mean and that is maybe what made like hey this can work it just may, i don't know it's like someone gets yep. it someone gets yep. it out there i would love to rank the seasons oh yeah does that sound okay. like a waste of time no no absolutely not i think season four is probably way up there i think i go two is my favorite season oh my goodness two's great but I'm surprised you said four. I thought two was like the consensus opinion. I think two. I think two and four are very, very close. Like I'm not gonna maybe even that. tied for first. I could yeah, get on okay, board. Yeah. Okay. Tied for first. Two and four. That's I'm fine. look. I'm looking at these. Man, you're right. For season four, these episodes, it's like a string. Yeah. The so first good. half of this season is crazy. So I'm gonna go two slash four. Yep. And then um, one has got to be next. Okay. I'm going two four one three seven six five. Definitely seven six five. Th- uh, you think three is better than one? Well, I think one has really great, really great episodes. A lot of standalone stuff. I think though the show 
wasn't like it still yeah, has like a quality still has a quality about it that um is i don't know i don't want to put my shoulder into that too much because i it is it is really really good i think i might like three a little more bartlett for put, america is one of my favorite I, well episodes. i was actually i literally the was just Bartlett's. about to i was just about to say bartlett for america has got to go on my top episodes list as yeah. you're mentioning it yeah I think though, maybe the finale of one, I like more than the finale of three. So I would go, I would agree that. Yes. Yeah. Season I mean, one, I don't mind this finale of three. It's not the my last favorite. like three episodes in three. I don't love how that all plays out. Like, and mm-hmm. it drags on a little too long. I so. Agree. so yeah, two slash four, two slash four, one, three, seven, six, five. Mm-hmm. We're on the same page there. Yeah, yeah. All right. Here we go. This is spoiler conversation right here. Spoiler. Okay. This conversation is going to be spoiled. That, that means we're going to blow some storyline here. Y- yes. I don't know how to get into this, but basically, I believe Amy and Josh is better than Josh and Donna. Yeah, man, that's some, that's some flamethrowy firebrand stuff because well, i mean it's only because everybody you know everybody's been wanting josh and donna to get together for Listen, the whole series and blah 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 but amy is even with josh that is why the relationship is so good they're the same they're on the same level and it's honest it's quite frankly just josh and donna is weird it's a weird relationship well josh Power dynamics and blah 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 the best example is cheers sam and diane uh-huh, uh-huh. The show was so much better with the flirtation than when they actually, it's, it's like, Oh, but that's why they waited so long. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for though. Like once you, once you have your druthers, it's, you realize that all the fun stuff, all the great things were like everything leading up to it. I agree that Josh and Donna are, are better as like this flirtatious. Will they, won't they Mm -hmm. Josh and Donna get together, by the way, if you stuck around this long, you're (laughs) yeah. Sorry. Which I like, I like the quick get together, like the way it just kind of pops up. And, but then, and I do feel like they sort of exploit the fact that like, look what would have happened if we tried to have them like date or something. Like they almost like put that into the show. It's so awkward when they even try and date, but, um, and, and that's why they saved it for the very end. Cause they couldn't, you know, they knew the show was ending so they could finally do it. Yeah. But even just yeah, the, the, I, I didn't even, it's not even believable to me that somehow you you flip a switch and six years later, you realize you're madly in love with this person that you could have been madly in love with the whole time, but then didn't act like it at all. I, I get the, I, I mean, I, the whole thing, it's not like it's, it's like bad. heightened, emo- heightened emotions. And yeah. I feel like though, it, it also gives Donna the opportunity to, you know, leave Josh and then come back on a more, I mean, she's not on the same playing field as him, but she's, you know, she's not directly like his subordinate um, or directly underneath him. I think, yeah, she probably does still work for him. It just, it kind of lays a little bit better groundwork for maybe that relationship working. I think that was one thing, like if they get together while they're, you know, while she's working for him in the white house, that's going to end badly. Yeah. I, for one, like the banter more than I like the relationship. Amy Gardner, yep. on the other hand, played by Mary Louise Parker, was a fantastic girlfriend mm-hmm. of his. I love that romance. I love the story. Like I love the episodes that they're in. But I also even buy why they couldn't have worked out. But you just wish they would have been able to work out. There's a scene when Amy Gardner is talking to the first lady, and Money. don't you want to kill him when he says things like that? My problem is I want to jump him when he says things like that. <laughs> uh it's that is that like that sort that confidence that arrogance the just knowing you're right all the time man so good 
Time number one was on the steps in front of my apartment when you kissed me. It was snowing. Time number two was when you came over after the State of the Union. Time number three was at your house when you put on your bootleg tape of the Stones at Wembley Stadium and put on your feather boa and sang Honky Tonk Woman. Time number four involved a variety of hosiery. Josh, I'm going to stop you right here, okay? Leo? Yeah. Anybody else in the office? Hey, Josh. Hey, Margaret. We've got a problem in Vieques and a caucus in Iowa. Why don't you come on into work? Hmm? The best cold open? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Mean, that is the best cold open. Oh, Absolutely. my gosh. It's so good. I That's one of the ones that I like. I can't breathe after that season. I'm laughing. Yeah. That scene, because I'm laughing so hard. And like, like Leo's delivery. How about you come on? How about you come into the office now? Hmm? Elite. Perfect. perfect. It's perfect delivery. Okay. How about uh, you have best Bartlett speeches and I, I don't have one. Do you have one? Yep. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, two cathedrals is my favorite. Hey, Kratom, Adeo Pio. Adeo Justo. Adeo Shito. Cruciatos and Crucem. Tuis in terra servos nuntias fui. Officium perfecce. Cruciatos and Crucem. Eas and Crucem. That's kind of a monologue, but yeah, I'll get on board with yeah. that. I think I meant more like yeah, his actual presidential his actual speeches, speeches but yeah. the monologue, yeah, his two cathedrals monologue is one of yeah. it's it's some of the best television you'll ever watch. It also makes you want to hide a little bit, thinking that God's going to strike you dead mm-hmm. watching that scene. It's just real raw. It's fantastic. His speech in Twenty Hours in America is maybe my, one of my favorite things apart about that. I'm a global conflict sustaining hope in this winter of anxiety and fear. More than any time in recent history, America's destiny is not of our own choosing. We did not seek, nor did we provoke, an assault on our freedoms and our way of life. We did not expect, nor did we invite, a confrontation with evil. Yet the true measure of a people's strength is how they rise to master that moment when it does arrive. Forty-four people were killed a couple of hours ago at Kennison State University. Three swimmers from the men's team were killed and two others were in critical condition when after having heard the explosion from their practice facility, they ran into the fire to help get people out. Ran into the fire. The streets of heaven are too crowded with angels tonight. There are students and our teachers and our parents and our friends. The streets of heaven are too crowded with angels. But every time we think we've measured our capacity to meet a challenge, we look up and we're reminded that that capacity may well be limitless. This is a time for American heroes. We will do what is hard. We will achieve what is great. This is a time for American heroes and we reach for the stars. God bless their memory. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. did you write that last part? In the car? Freak. Oh, yeah. That uh, is this, a good this is one. a yeah. time for American heroes. That's where yeah. that line came, it came from, that speech. Should, yeah. Man alive. So good. So, really so good. good. I could watch that speech just over and over. That is really, really good one. Okay, how about best Leo pep talks? I'll start this one. Because I have a couple different stories from the West Wing that I quote all the time. 
And one of my favorites is Oh Holy Night when he's talking to Josh and he's uh, he tells the story of the guy who falls in the hole. I, I literally have told that story a hundred times. I mean, that hits me on like another level because mm-hmm. I think it really show it also shows like the tender side of Leo. Like he's this, you know, uh, Bartlett at one point says Leo's face is made out of leather. Like, you know, he's mm-hmm. going to outlive us all. He's been everywhere. I love when he is face to face with the person who outed him for being a recovering alcoholic, uh-huh. uh, the woman and she's in his office and he has this opera, like she's already been fired and he has this opportunity to just, you know, make her regret living. And he is so humble and vulnerable with her. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's something special. I would actually like to also point out, the way this show deals with religion is, I, I, I don't want to be too hyperbolic, honestly, because I like it so much. It's just something very special. And the way they use it, the way they ha- they talk about it. So if you don't know anything about the show, Bartlett is a Catholic, so that comes up a lot. But it's it's very much a part of who he is. It's not just like he's culturally Catholic or something yeah. like that. It's yeah. very much a part. And so there's so many, the shibboleth episode, like, so basically I guess what I'm trying to say is not, not, not to be <laughs> like, I have a master's in theology and this show has really good theology. Yeah. So I'm not just like, it's not, it's, I, it's not, I'm not trying to say I'm like an expert, but I'm just saying like, I've studied it pretty in depth and this, I love this show's theology. Like, and all I mean by that is when they try and go for it, shibboleth, like the whole lesson of shibboleth is great. You know, when he's dealing with, should I, uh, should I commute the sentence of the guy who's on death row? The way they handle that whole episode is awesome. I think the way they handle that generally is just so great. And I even like, I, I'm even thinking about things in the end, like the way that the two people running for president in the, in season seven, I love the mix up of the abortion conversation, which is just that like the person you would think would be pro and, and con- like they've basically flipped which party. I just love that. They just like toying with you the whole time. It's just, mm-hmm. and in that way, it's like, it messes with your theology, pokes at your theology, but gives you something to think about. And it, so it's not just dealing with politics it's dealing with everything. It's worldview. It's, it's, it's religion. It's all this different stuff at the same time. It's also like, to speak to that, one of the candidates has a, you know, do you believe in intelligent design? And he was like, I believe in God and I like to think he's intelligent. (laughs) And it's just like a a very like down to earth answer. And it also kind of rocks your view on everybody like this should think this way type thing. No, it's just, it's just not the case. Not all Democrats think a certain way. believe a certain way not all republicans think and believe certain ways uh shibboleth is the episode where the um the refugees coming over from china right yep yep and then the death row episode which one is that is it take sabbath take this sabbath day yeah that's right that would have to be up there top five episodes Mm -hmm. top five i mean it's that is a fantastic standalone episode. Oh, shibboleth is great too because that's shibboleth is the one where Sam writes. Honestly, some of the best moments are Sam writing for Bartlett, but that's the one where he writes the Thanksgiving proclamation, mm. and um, Bartlett gets choked up reading it mm. because it's he's just talked to the guy. Let me read this. Well, over three and a half centuries ago, strengthened by faith and bound by a common desire for liberty. A small band of pilgrims sought out a place in the new world where they could worship according to their own beliefs. Now, therefore, I, Josiah Bartlett, 
President of the United States, by virtue of the authority and laws vested in me, do hereby proclaim this to be a national day of Thanksgiving. Really great Thanksgiving episodes, I'm, I'm uh-huh. thinking about. Fantastic Thanksgiving episodes. Great Christmas episodes, too. Great Christmas episodes. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of shows have good Christmas episodes. Uh-huh. This parks the Thanksgiving episode. Over and over, yep. I think maybe we should wrap this up. We could linger on forever, but I think we'll leave it here. So, first of all, before we before we give our final moment, I think we'll just call it a day for this, and we won't do any pitches of anything else. But I think we have a really good season coming up for you. I'll say in general that Brandon and I have been in communication all summer about tons of new shows that we've been watching. I think we have like three or four brand new shows that are coming mm-hmm. out this season. We're going to go back and watch some older shows, um, and Brandon has watched sort of a classic so Brandon watched Friday Night Lights, which is mm-hmm. sort of a classic popular show. We're going to do an episode on that because I've seen that. And I'm currently watching Catching Up on Pe- Peaky Blinders. We're going to do an episode on that. We're doing The Bear. We're doing The Terminal List. We're doing uh, The Old Man. Mm-hmm. Those uh, are some, all brand new. Yep. yep, those are all brand new. Some other things. Uh, so uh, well, I think we've got a really good season in store for you. And also, I've, I personally, I found it funny that we said we would do some like season recaps, but then just like nothing came out that we had done an episode on. Like none of it's yeah. done. It, none of it was done yet. So we'll was, still work some of that in too. Reservation Dogs is going right now, and Only Murders just wrapped up recently. I'm not even done with it yet. But neither um, am I. Yeah. So we'll get to those things too. But the way I'd like to end this episode is, Brandon, make your pitch for why people should watch The West Wing. If you can distill it down to a very short message, like why is this? Sh- why would they benefit from watching this show? Yeah, I think uh, this is this is the perfect time to make this pitch because you know we mentioned it a little bit. This is a very chaotic and it's just a time full of full of turmoil, especially in the political spectrum. And I think um, it is turned a lot of people sour and bitter towards politicians people who are supposed to have your your best um, wishes in mind people who are making decisions on your behalf i think the west wing is uh, you know it's not going to fix anything in the real world but i think it will give you a, a barometer and it may be in some ways a beacon of hope for what politics should be like what politicians should be like and guess what? You get some you get some riveting story and some some hilarious moments along the way. So it's it's really the complete package, and it couldn't you know couldn't come at a better time. Yeah, I don't know if I would say it much differently because there's so many things that that come up for me. I think my pitch would just be for me. This was sort of the beginning of laugh slash cry all at the same time. Like it's just so heartfelt, so deep. Um, and you kind of go back and forth. It's just the complete package. But generally speaking, I think the reason it could be important to watch the show, other than it's just one of the best narratives ever put together, um, and that's a fun thing to watch and a beautiful thing to watch, is you you said the word hope, and I think there's nothing wrong with hope. And this show is full of hope, and it is certainly something we could use right now. Hope is real. In a country where families go without health care, where some go without food, Some don't even have a home to speak of. Hope is real. In a time of global chaos and instability where our faiths collide as often as our weapons, hope is real. Hope is what gives us the courage to take on our greatest challenges, to move forward together. We live in cynical times. I know that. But hope is not up for debate. 
There is such a thing as false science. There's such a thing as false promises. I am sure that I'll have my share of false starts in this campaign. But there is no such thing as false hope. There is only hope. And I understand that it could be the case that like, uh, you'd be worried that you'd be duped by the current political landscape, but I just fundamentally believe that um, we could draw ourselves away from that landscape by not believing the narrative that is in the polit- in politics right now and instead be presented with other narratives, even though, like Brandon said, they have nothing to do with real life. This is not real life. The West Wing is not real life. Maybe it could never even be that good, but... that's what art does like you look at it and it draws you to a higher plane of vision so that you aspire to something better as opposed to just always looking around and saying well this is how it is this is how it is uh yeah but this is how it could be what are you thinking about tomorrow